Welcome to the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health. We will also reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and others who have been through extreme adversity. All right, guys. So welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast. Today, like always, another incredible motivational guest on. Now, funnily enough, I wanted to bring on a side note before I introduce the guy, but he's got a highly acclaimed podcast and he was talking to an incredible guy called Christian Bush about serendipity. And funnily enough, I released a podcast this morning with Blaine Bartlett. And he actually emailed me this morning before this podcast with the title that my next guest is known for, FOMO, which out of the blue, so serendipitous, we'll touch on it later, but I just get back to, to our guest. I just found that so profound this morning, but Patrick McGuinness is a venture capitalist, writer, and speaker who has invested in leading companies in the United States, Latin America, Europe, and Asia. He's a creator and host of the hit podcast, FOMO Sapiens, which is distributed by Harvard business review and has achieved over 2 million downloads. Patrick coined the term FOMO, short for fear of missing out, which has added to the English Oxford Dictionary in 2013, is also the creator of the term FOBO or fear of better option and has been featured as a creator of both terms in media outlets, including the New York Times, Financial Times, Boston Globe, Guardian, Inc. Magazine, Cosmopolitan, and MSNBC. His TED Talk, How to Make Faster Decisions, was released in 2019. He's the author of the international bestseller, The 10% Entrepreneur, Live Your Startup Dream Without Quitting Your Day Job, resonates with me, a guide to part-time entrepreneurship. Translated into 10 foreign languages, the book has been featured by the BBC, MSNBC, CNN, in Spanish Entrepreneur, Fast Company, Forbes, Fortune, and many other media outlets worldwide. So first and foremost, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. You're welcome. Um, but how does it sound listening to all, all, all your accolades and everything that you've done? Like, that is amazing. <laughs> it makes me think I should make a shorter bio, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe, like, just focus on the really important ones. But it's, it's the, thank you for reading it. It's nice of you. Oh, more than welcome. I mean, thank you for coming on the show. I mean, the whole premise behind the campaign is what I like to bring forward in getting to know the person behind the profession. So I'd say for yourself, can you take us, our listeners, back to the beginning? You went to Harvard Business School. Tell us a little bit about that and obviously moving into corporate America and, and where FOMO came from. Yeah, well, the funny thing is, I mean, the beginning and the real beginning is the small town in New England. Yeah. Uh, you're English. Have you been in New England? It's like, uh, it looks like England. That's, I, I realized that when I spent time in the English countryside. But uh, I grew up in the small town in New England and um, very simple place, middle class family. And I worked really hard in school and ended up getting on to university and then went off to Harvard after working at Wall Street. And I'd never known anybody who'd been to Harvard before. Um, yeah. In, in New York, I just, I mean, I just didn't know those people. And so when I, when I went to Harvard, it was just after 9-11 and I had lived through the attacks and lived in New York City at the time. And I just thought to myself, like, life is precious and you have to make the most of every day. And so I decided that I would make the most of every day. And that meant trying to do everything all the time. And at a place like Harvard Business School, which is full of opportunities, 
Mm. That really means something. And so I was constantly stressed out trying to go to all the parties, go on all the trips, apply for all the jobs. And I started to call that a fear of missing out, shortened it to FOMO and wrote an article about it in our school newspaper. And then all these years later, it's in the dictionary. So it was a really crazy kind of thing to happen to me. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's everywhere, that word. But I mean, it took off and I was reading because I also do a lot of my ho- own homework, listen to a lot of your podcast episodes. Mm. But you never, you never claimed that title, did you? So you never registered or everything. Everyone has to go back and has a look. And that's how people or you first got to know that it had gone viral. Yeah, it's not like it's. It, I never, you know, it was just like a word that I like. I make up words all the time. I've made up so many words <laughs> that uh, I mean, it really have since I was a kid. So it didn't even occur to me that it would become something universal. Yeah. But um, but then back when it when it when I realized it was in the dictionary, then I I sort of like decided, you know, okay, this is cool and this is my baby. Why don't I try to do more with it? And so I've spent a lot of time now speaking, writing about it and, and trying to talk about it. Cause it's such an important, um, you know, it, it really has mental health implications. And I think it's not just kind of a funny meme. It really is a lot of meaning for how we live our lives. Yeah. And you like to explain that quite a lot when you talk about anxiety, the fear of missing out, it can really turn into this perplexed notion of, anxiety and build up and I suppose what I wanted to ask you and one of my big premises through the campaign is really to dispel and change the narrative around mental health when people see what you've achieved and the accolades I always like to as I say I take my hat off to what people have achieved I think it's incredible but there's always a story behind it and what I loved you saying there was about New England you came from a small kind of background and you worked your way when people see highlight reels And I sadly lost a friend to suicide and we only saw highlight reels. So I suppose, can you break down the barriers of what kind of like the perception towards Harvest Business School is and the corporate sector and then put it into terms where people can understand that there is a lot of hard work and mental issues that go behind that struggle, should I say, because you're at the top of the game and you're around people that are always high achievers, I suppose. Yeah, it's so true. And I think about my own journey. When I was a kid, I had a lot of real challenges. I, I, I had Tourette syndrome pretty badly as a kid. I was bullied and made fun of. And, and you know, it went over away when I sort of got older, but there was a lot of, that left a lot of scars, right? And you leaves a lot of insecurities. And, and many of us have gone through these things in, in different ways in our lives. But I would say, to your specific question, you go to a place like Harvard Business School and you think everybody's lives are perfect. And by the way, their lives are pretty good. Like I'm not going to, you know, sort of people, they get there because they've had a lot of success so far. Yeah. Um, but what happens is, number one, um, they go out into the real world after that and then life happens. And I don't know anybody who hasn't had a major, major thing happen to them, either personally, professionally, that blew up their a big part of their life. For me, that was uh, the 2008 financial crisis blew up my career. I mean, it was a disaster. I ended up on a heart monitor. You know, it was not, not, not a good time in my life. Um, I've seen other friends that have had real challenges, either professionally where they lose it all, or, you know, we had a, a very high profile example of one of my classmates who's a fantastic human being. Her name is Drew Dixon. And she in the New York Times came out in a front page article saying that she had been sexually assaulted by Russell Simmons. And it was a very big story. It became a documentary. And, you know, I know I've known her for years. Like I thought she had the perfect life. Mm-hmm. I really did. 
And I didn't know about this. I mean, it wasn't something she had talked about. And so I think we never know what's going on behind the scenes. And um, either, you know, folks that, that were in my circles at HBS, either there was stuff that they maybe just, you know, sort of learned how to gloss over, or they hadn't yet sort of hit that big challenge in their life that would really put them to the test and, and, and maybe, maybe think very differently about, you know, mental illness or, or mental, mental health in a way that, that they, they never even thought it applied to them. So I think everybody has their moment. It's just like, when does it come, you know? Yeah. And I think changing that narrative around it, I mean, from your experience working in corporate America, are you seeing more organizations talking more openly about it rather than say five, 10 years ago? Well, you just got me at the perfect moment because I just <laughs> taped an episode of my podcast, FOMO Sapiens, and my guest this week is a returnee. I had him on last year, um, but he came back and his name is Dan Chappelle and he's an expert in um, wor the workplace culture. Mm. And he does this forecast of like trends for the workplace and his forecast for next year includes one of the, the items is that um, mental health is going to become a really big part of what employers provide to employees because there is tremendous um, stress placed on all of us right now this year. I saw some figures um, in the last 24 hours that said that 25% of people who get 20, 20% of people who, who are, um, who struggle with COVID and survive COVID will have severe um, mental health challenges in the next 90 days. Mm -hmm. And so this is just, you know, this isn't even, I mean, mental health issues have always been there, but COVID has really created a whole other level of challenges for people to deal with. And so, yeah, I think, I don't think it's just like a acceleration of an existing trend that yeah. we see because of factors in our society and technology and the stresses, but I think it's just like, now it's just like been pushed right to the forefront. And if companies aren't willing, and I'll say willing, if companies aren't prepared to support their employees, you know, they're just going to lose a lot. Number one, they'll lose people, but they'll also lose productivity. And of course, like, I, I don't mean to be sort of um, black and white about this, but yeah. productivity is, is a big part of what makes companies successful. Yeah. It, it's funny you say that because we started, we just initiated, to say that I'd never worked in this space before, <laughs> behind the scenes, and this is what resonated with me. So funnily enough, again, towards serendipitous moments, I was just scrolling socials one morning and Jay Shetty had you on his show. Um, or rather you had him on your show and I was just listening and I was like, everything that you're talking about, about your 10% entrepreneur. And then I reached out and he was like, yeah, you sound like a 10% entrepreneur. Like everything that I've learned. I've been looking for you. Where have you been? <laughs> Mate, I've been here, right here in Sydney, Australia. <laughs> All right. But, um, yeah, just tell us a little bit about that book so that everyone gets the premise behind it. Yeah. So the 10% entrepreneur, I actually have it right here. Funny enough, I was just getting something out of it earlier today. So there it is. Um, and it is available in Australia, published by Penguin um, and other places in the world. But basically the idea there is that we all feel FOMO and a lot of uh, the FOMO people feel in their careers is about entrepreneurship. It's like, oh, I'm in the corporate job, but you know, that brave friend of mine is building their startup and they're going to be super successful and I'm going to be a working stiff my whole life. And what I, um, what I do with the book is number one, say, listen, you know, the grass is always greener. Entrepreneurship is extremely high risk, uh, higher rates of depression, divorce. Um, it's just it, failure is inevitable. Uh, it's very hard to succeed. And at the same time, um, uh, corporate world looks great on the surface, but nowadays there's no guarantees. And so how do you combine those two things? How do you 
take your stable day job, but at the same time, build something entrepreneurial that accrues to you that you can take anywhere you go that, that is yours for the rest of your career. That's the, the 10% entrepreneur. You invest at least 10% of your time and if possible, 10% of your money in doing entrepreneurial activities outside of your day job. And I've been doing that now for um, nearly a decade. I have more than 25 different um, entrepreneurial projects. A couple have gone on to become billion dollar businesses. Um, not, you know, I'm an investor in those. I don't run yeah. them, obviously, because I'm here <laughs> with you right now. I would be working. But um, it's an incredible way to build a diversified portfolio of, of economic activities that are yours. So that's what the book's about. Yeah, it is like I've already ordered it. I think like because what I get from it, I went the hard way around. I was I was working, running health clubs in England, then Europe, then now Sydney. And these guys walked in one day. I started this campaign. The purpose for me to build this campaign was far greater than, say, the ego. It was about making a difference. So mm -hmm. I was like, these guys walked in on, off a construction site. I've not done it since I was at university. And they told me how much they was earning. So I said, in my head, if I do that for 12 months, I can build this. I can take it to an international like, audience. I can go to America. I can do this. So for over 14 months, I worked 12 hours a day, six days a week, building this at night whilst having two kids and simultaneously studying business, press releases, media kits. So when I was listening to you and, and reading more into your book, I was like, because I never classed myself as an entrepreneur either until I read the definition. I just, I was like, mm -hmm. okay, so this is what I do. I'll do this A to B to C. I can connect. I'm good at networking and so if that makes me a 10% entrepreneur, that's amazing. But I can't wait to read the full book. But um, everyone can get that from Penguin in Australia? Yeah, you can get it on Amazon and, and all your, you know, it's also an audio book at this point and um, it's an ebook. So you can find that, you know, wherever you get your books for sure. Yeah. So where did the idea then eventuate to do your podcast? Because you've had some amazing guests on there as well. Oh boy. Well, as, as now you're, how long have you been doing your podcast for? Oh, probably about eight months. Okay. So you're, you're, that's pretty good. And you're still new. Um, people would say to me, Patrick, get to have a podcast. And I was like feeling the FOMO, right? Yep. And then I, I, but I set some goals for myself. I said, listen, or a criteria, I should say. I said, I'm going to do a podcast if I can do one of, you know, I need three conditions met. Number one, I need, I need to be high quality. So I want to have like a good product. I don't want it because I've been on so many podcasts that you hear them later on, like, eh, you know, and, and, and I just wanted it to sound really great. Yeah. Number two, um, I wanted distribution. I wanted a partner to help me scale it and get it off the ground. And number three, I wanted to sort of know that I was going to stick with it, like that there was a reason to do it, like a business reason or something like it wasn't just sort of like a hobby because I already have enough hobbies. I don't need another yeah. hobby. <laughs> yep. You know, like it's like I'm busy. I mean, FOMO, right? Like I do a million things. And so I was approached by a media company who said, we will produce the show. We will distribute the show and it'll be great. And I was like, sounds amazing. And I just went into it not knowing anything. And it turned out that that was, I ended up moving the show over to Harvard Business Review where I like trained myself to be an audio engineer. Like I have a whole little setup now and everything. I hired, a, I actually hired an audio engineer from the national public radio to come to my house to like train me. Um, and over time I just started in the beginning. It was like my friends were on the show. And then as the show kind of got more popular, then I would get wonderful people reaching out to me, um, you know, saying, do you want to have my, um, it was like PR firms. Do you want to have this author on? Do you want to have this entrepreneur? And I, you know, I don't say that, you know, I've, 
picky. You know, I want to have the right people, but I also love learning and I'm curious. So we've been able to meet a bunch of people. And this year, actually, just starting this season, season five, FOMO Sapiens is now actually independent from Harvard Business Review. And I'm kind of building it to its next level and bringing on all kinds of new guests. So it's been a real journey. It's been about, it's been like a real entrepreneurial experience. As, as you know, like it's like a little company. And what's cool about it is that um, I think podcasts are a powerful way to tell stories and to highlight important things and to put good into the world as you're doing. And so I found it's an awesome way for me to just put out my own view on like how we can do you know, build our businesses, build our lives, be decisive in a way that sort of elevates, I, I hope, everybody who listens to the show. Yeah. Well, I mean, storytelling is the oldest form of communication, isn't it? It brings people together. And that's a huge premise of the campaign through, because I do, one of my hobbies is photography on the side as well. Mm -hmm. So visual aspects through photography, through music or film, it resonates, it connects. We can all go to a place that something connects us. But attesting to you an incredible career what i would say with when it comes to well-being wellness mental health how have you navigated your own mental health through those times where the financial crisis happened and for people going through covid at the moment navigating from your personal experience oh that's a good topic listen <laughs> i um i've always been really lucky that i have a lot of support around me so I, i'm very thankful for that but at the same time I am, um, I hate failing. And, you know, and by the way, like, I don't think being an employee of a company that blows up in a financial crisis is failing. Um, but I did fail. And in my mind, and one of the things that was very helpful to me and has been helpful to me has been to reorient failure um, towards learning. And I know that's like, it sounds kind of like obvious, but I don't think it is. And I'll tell you why. Um, there's a, there's this great, um, I've been reading some of my favorite authors in sort of clinical psychology, positive psychology, which is a, an area I knew nothing about until the last year. I feel like it found me because I started reading this stuff right before COVID. And I feel like it, I was like lucky. Um, positive psychology, books like Flourish um, uh, by Martin Seligman and, and um, The Happiest Advantage by um, uh, Sean Acor. Talk about the fact that when something bad happens to us, we just assume that we have PTSD or we go back to normal. But in fact, you can have post-traumatic stress for sure, but you can also have post-traumatic growth. When something bad, bad happens, if you respond and you, and you, and you are very, um, and you get the right help or you just respond to it in a way that is constructive, you can come out ahead because you kind of like, you, you come out more resilient. And yeah. so that's something I've always believed in, I think, from my childhood and dealing with Tourette's syndrome and that stuff. I always was like, wow, like that was terrible. But I came out on the other side way more capable of dealing with adversity. So that has been helpful to me throughout the, the period of time with like, I always looked at the AIG experience as an opportunity to grow and learn. Um, once I got over the initial shock and horror, which was terrible. The other thing I'd say is, <laughs> the other thing I'd say is I've really embraced um, sort of trying to take care of your body and your mind. So whether it's exercise and or meditation stuff like that, which you know in the past I I always did that stuff, but like I used to do exercise and just like beat myself down and like just like run as many miles as I could until I was like limping. And now I try to take a little bit of a more measured perspective. I'm not perfect. I still <laughs> overdo it on the old Peloton. <laughs> but I feel like having some of those 
offsets of the stress really helps. Like you can be having a horrible day, but if you get some of the energy and the blood flowing, it kind of turns things around. So those are some areas where I've personally found um, them to be helpful, but you know, everybody has their own sort of own path to, to wellness. Yeah. I think it's, it goes to say that we're all on our own journey. And I love that you talk about kind of your own learning because what I've learned, yes, you can have success or what other people pertain as success, but it means so many different things. I would say success is actually growth. And it's kind of attesting to similar to what you said there about learning the person that you actually become. So all the failures actually just make you the person that you are today. So all the people that I've got to meet and, and like yourself, like million dollar companies and all kinds of stuff like that, it's made me break down barriers and have a newfound appreciation because I've got friends in the US who also run multi-million dollar companies. And at first I was blown away going, you must have the most amazing life. I'm like, I'm not saying that they don't, but as I was put it into, into context where there was like, yeah, but Glenn, you know, what people don't realize as well is what comes running a multi-million dollar business is a million dollar problems as well. Would you trade that for that? And I was like, and this is also flourishing through the campaign and breaking these barriers down through entertainment, through corporate and just go, hold on a minute. Like we all go in this circle. Sometimes the most successful people look at people who are just limited in what they do, but go, Oh, I would like some of that sometimes. And we look at people who are successful and think the same. So it's, I think with mental health and we, the FOMO, it's the fear of missing out and thinking something's better than just being grateful for what we do have. Well, here's the thing about FOMO. Yep. It's based on a perception. There's something better out there. Perception. Perception can be deception. You have no idea. I've, you know, I've, I've had several friends in my life who people I knew socially that were like Billy, like billionaires. Right. I mean, I don't like, Oh my God. Right. You're like, wow, your life must be so easy because you're a billionaire. Everything you could ever want. Well, you know what? There's a lot of, there's a lot of challenges that come with that. And then you think about people who have nothing but have found happiness with what they have. So it's like gratitude for where you are and what you have and not comparing yourself to others and realizing that perception can be deception. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's a life struggle, but um, it's important to try to just to orient yourself uh, because that's where FOMO is bad. You're comparing yourself and you have no, and you're comparing yourself up in your head, but you have no idea. First of all, even if it's true, like you may not, you know, that's bad, but like it's really bad to feel FOMO about something that isn't even real. That's like, the, you don't want to end up, that's a bad place to end up. Yeah. Well, I've got two last questions for you because I know you're a busy guy, but one I would say, because I am disrupting corporate silence as well through a lot of the LinkedIn platforms and a lot of business forums. What would you say when you went through your own FOMO, fear of missing out, there are a lot of people at that stage right now. How did you navigate and get to a place of going, actually, I'm not missing out and prioritize like, when did you settle down, should I say? Hasn't happened yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> listen, I think anybody who's entrepreneurial has some of that in them. Yeah. And my to dealing with that has been my 10%. So I recognize I have FOMO. I, I, I own it. I, I'm okay with that. And so I allocate a portion of my time to explore that FOMO, 10%. And in doing so, what you'll realize, which is pretty cool, and I'm sure you've realized this, is like that actually gets, the, it, gets it out of your system. Mm. You know, it's sort of like, it's kind of like, um, this is a bad example on a mental health podcast, but like <laughs> people who maybe they like to party, but they're stuck at home. They got like three kids. Well, if they go out like once a year and like really blow it 
blow it up and like go crazy, yeah. then they're good for another year. So that's how I think about it. <laughs> I've got kids. Don't do that. I'm not advising a big night out. <laughs> Sometimes you just need that. And uh, last question, I ask all my guests this. What does being imperfectly perfect mean to you? The beauty is in the imperfection. I mean, that's been said a million times, right? But like, I think the parts of me that I like the best are the parts that maybe nobody sees that are super crazy and aren't perfect, but they're the parts that make me different and the parts that teach me the most. So um, I actually, I, I, I'm not afraid of that, that side of me. I sort of embrace it, but I recognize that like, it, you know, some of the things that we're not perfect at, we don't, we have to work on them too, but they are definitely part of who we are as much as the things that we love to tell everybody about. So the flaws are good too. See, I love that. I love that because I just, it, to me, it's just like, I think because one of my backgrounds like group fitness and running health clubs and people come from a com commonality to get fit for a community. So I've never seen a profession and I've, I've taken that. And I suppose with the campaign, why I've just picked up the phone and reached out to people is because I do see their success as amazing what they've achieved, but I love to know the person behind. So Patrick, knowing that you come from New England, and the stuff before you became who you became, then you get to see and feel the energy of a person and their essence and actually go, yeah, that guy's worked hard for what he's got, but what he stands for in his ethics. And lastly, I will just say, I did listen to something you were saying about Harvard Business School, what it taught you. You saw a piece of litter, you picked it up and you was like, I want to leave the place in a better condition than it was. I love that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. It's, I love that. I just, the, the, the basic point is that we were taught like, and it's a value of the school. And I think it should be value of every school. It's like, leave a place better than you found it. If you see someplace that's dirty, clean it up. And it, it makes, it's not even just you're doing good for somebody else. Like it actually makes you feel good. Yeah. Um, and I remember when I was a little kid, my babysitter got me to go up to this old man at McDonald's and offer to clear his tray. <laughs> so it's kind of <laughs> like that. He didn't, he was like, what? <laughs> no, I'm eating, but, but, um, I think it's good to do those things. It is. It is. Well, I just want to say on behalf of myself, the campaign listeners, thank you for coming on the podcast. Where can people find out more information about you and to get your books? Sure. So you can go to patrickmcginnis.com. You can find my books on Amazon, 10% Entrepreneur and Fear of Missing Out, Practical Decision-Making in a World of Overwhelming Choice. And you can find me, uh, the, uh, my podcast is FOMO Sapiens. It's two words. You can find it on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. And um, on the socials, it's on my website, but also Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis. Well, again, thank you for coming on the show. And guys, you can grab this episode, which will be airing in the next two weeks on Spotify or iHeartRadio. Until then, guys, remember, we're all imperfectly perfect. Have those hard conversations and keep pushing through. To find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.